0: We're actually going to start another series today that's going to go for... And I always like to spend a bit of time in week one laying a foundation for the heart behind the series, give you a little bit of an idea of where we're going. And uh, so we talked quite a bit about this concept in Vision Series last month where we got as a purpose and a, a calling, destiny, if you will, for each and every one of our lives. That it's, it's unique, it's individual, It's custom fit. It's tailor-made for every one of us. But one of the things that's important for us to understand as we tap into, step into what God's plan for our lives is, is that our plan hooks into a bigger plan, right? That God has a kingdom plan that's always happening. And we're like soldiers in an army, laborers in a field that are all a part of a bigger work that God is up to. And that bigger work, you could say, is to advance his kingdom here on earth, to expand the domain of God, the reign of God here in our generation, populate heaven, uh, see people live with more authority, more power, more strength in the spirit of God that's meant for them in their lives. And so when we start to pursue that plan, that purpose that God has for us, you know, one thing it's important to understand is it it's eternal. Like our destiny is eternal. God's got things for us to do and ways that he wants to use us here on this earth, but ultimately the culmination of this is that we walk into eternity. <laughs> and we're we're with Jesus in heaven for the eternal age, right? And so it's it's always this building process. It's progressive, I guess, I would say. There's always more that's coming. The best is yet to come. And so when you look at purpose and walking it out, I think it helps to sort of break some things down sometimes to a place where we can begin to see how to move forward in increments or in a season of where we're at in our lives. Um, God gives us assignments. He gives us a mission, different missions throughout our life. You could say that uh, a life is summed up with a series of assignments and missions that are progressive that build off of each other, right? Some of the students here are in school right now, and one of their goals is to be able to get a good grade at the end of the year in their subjects, in their classes to advance, maybe in college to you know, keep, get a scholarship or have honors, uh, parents or grandparents helping kids. You know that, that that's kind of the year-end goal, right? Finish well. But let me ask you something. Doesn't that happen one assignment, one quiz, one test at a time, right? I mean, they build off of each other. At the end of the year, and they're doing a comprehensive review, it's kind of summarizing everything they've learned throughout the whole year. So you go from like one assignment to the next, and then that builds to ultimate success of the, of the whole year. And so God is... He's into assignments. We see that in the Bible, that there are men and women that are dispatched on missions and assignments for God. And I guess that's the heart of the series here is to learn how to discern and handle an assignment well and to execute it and complete it in a way where God gets glory and, and there's fruit from that. Does it make sense? And so, um, what I love about the Lord is that when he gives us assignments or he's kind of you know, nudging us to go in a direction accomplish something, he bears with us a bit beyond what sometimes it seems like he needs to. Because uh, when we get an assignment or when God's trying to move us, we don't always handle that right in the beginning, do we? And we? We see that in scripture. I mean, Moses, he gets this huge assignment to go bring the people out of Egypt, but there's a lot of back talking going on right? A lot of back talking, a lot of I can't, a lot of I'm the wrong guy, you messed up. I mean, and I just, I want you to appreciate this. We see the patience and the mercy and the loving kindness of God on display in these situations, don't we? I mean, sometimes I think God's going to be like, oh my gosh, how much do I have to listen to this back talking? But he hangs with us there. Uh, and even Mary, you know, you're going to bring forth the son of God. How is that possible? I haven't known a man. And well, Mary, I mean... The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. With God, nothing is impossible. Okay, yeah, according to your word, let it be done. And so God hangs with us. He bears with us. We don't always handle assignments well, um, but an assignment is going to have stages to it. And today, week one, what we're going to talk about is starting points. Starting points. Let's talk about the inception, the beginning stage of an assignment. What are some characteristics that we can learn from and understand? Um, We're going to dig into the book of Nehemiah through this series. That'll be our primary text. And Nehemiah, what's interesting is he's most well-known, probably if we did a survey in the room, 98% of people would say, oh yeah, Nehemiah is known for rebuilding the walls, right? He led the assignment to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, and he did. But what's interesting is that that particular project of reparation for those walls only took 52 days. So in this whole summary of Nehemiah's life, that's not really a huge chunk, yet it was a big assignment. But it led to other assignments. You know, Nehemiah ended up becoming the... He he started out as the cupbearer for the king, but then he became a builder in Jerusalem with the walls. Then he he became governor in the land, and then he eventually became a leader of uh, revitalization and spiritual reformation among God's people, kind of bringing them back to a place of living with the presence of God in their midst and just fire for the Lord, obedience to the Lord. So there were a lot of things that continue to build from that. But the starting point of the journey is what I want to take a look at today. And when Moses was writing in, Deuteron- or in Numbers, I'm sorry, he said, he went through a summary. Of all of the places that the people of Israel traveled to during the 40 years in the wilderness. Now, we often think about that as just kind of one period, right? The 40 year wilderness period. But there's this interesting chapter where Moses breaks down all of the places that they went and camped and then where they moved on from to the next place. And he says that these were the journeys and their starting points. There's like 30 something of them in 40 years. So there's, there's a lot of incremental things happening in the picture of that 40-year period, is what I'm trying to say. He says these are the starting points of these journeys, and the Hebrew word for starting point actually is also uh, translated in other places in the Bible as the seed. Kind of cool, huh? Like the beginning stage. Now, how many know that the seed of something carries the potential and the capacity for the full bloom and the full fruit, but how a seed is handled has everything to do with what happens from it. So the potential, the capacity is there, but the the output has to do with what happens with the seed. I was just the other day. I was I've finished eating an avocado, and they're uh, good by the way. Super fruit, super food. But my, my son Dax, he's like, I want the seed, Dad. You know, all right. You know, it's big seed. He's hanging on. He's like, I'm gonna plant that, and I'm um, like, well, it's you know probably not going to grow right now, it's really cold outside, and this isn't the best time I'm not even sure if avocados grow here or not, he's like, oh, I'm going to plant it, you know, he's got to thinking like, there's so much to be said about the timing of a seed, where it goes, the kind of soil that it's in, right, and so God wants to bring these fresh new works into our lives, but we're really responsible for how we handle the seed, (laughs) There's a lot to be said for the responsibility we take and the care we take in the infancy stage of something to ultimately determine how it comes to maturity as well. And so let's look at Nehemiah, go to chapter 1, and uh, let's just read the first five verses here in chapter 1 to start out. the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. I was in Shushan and the, the citadel, and Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So let's just pause right there for a second. So here's what's going on. Nehemiah is in the, he's still in Babylon captivity, which is actually Persia now because they overran the Babylonians during the 70-year period. But so uh, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king in Persia. Artaxerxes is the name of the king. And the people of Israel, God's people, have already started in the first few stages going back to Jerusalem, back to their homeland to rebuild some things and repair some things. In fact, the temple was already reconstructed. And this group of Jews comes back to Persia to bring a report to Nehemiah, and he's, he's asking, he's inquiring about the state of affairs. You, understand, you see what's going on here in the first two verses. So this is the response, verse 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants. Just go ahead and stop right there. And so, um, number one in this message, if you're taking notes, is it starts with a burden. I want you to see this, that the word comes back to Nehemiah of the people, the city. It's, things are in a distraught state. The walls are in rubble, burned down, broken down. Uh, the city's not fortified. God's people are vulnerable. And, and this breaks Nehemiah's heart. He, he goes into a deep time of prayer, of lament, says, I was praying and fasting. He begins to seek the Lord for what to do about this. And oftentimes what we'll see when God's getting ready to move us into an assignment or in a mission is if we're tuned in and seeking him for direction, he begins to break our hearts for the things that break his heart. Does that make sense? Like what what matters to God is begins to matter to us. What's, what God wants to do something about, he begins to cue us into so that we start leaning into it and, and really we're kind of already beginning to say yes to God before we know exactly what it is that he wants us to do about that. He's inviting us to be a part of the solution but we're not just apathetic when we see something that needs to be, that that's not right, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Something breaks, something begins to burden us and and we've got to be a part of doing something about that there's a burden that drives it i would liken this to the way that i go about preparing like for the weekend message you know it's it's not an approach where i kind of think through okay what are some topics what are some teaching points oh that would be nice that would be a good teach that'll preach well you know it's, that's not the way that i ever approach it 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 always has to come from a burden. Like, that's what I seek the Lord for. And uh, when it's not there, it's kind of like there's pressure. You know, Lord, what do you want to say? What is on your heart right now? I'm not interested in saying what I want to say. That's not of any value. I want to know what you want to say. And then the Lord begins to put something on my heart and it's like, yeah, that's what it is. And it's a burden and I can't shake it. And then I just start praying and seeking God and then studying that through. That's what begins to drive it. And uh, I would just say that that makes a huge difference in the kind of, of, of anointing, I think, that's on a preacher in preaching Is are they just trying to teach something that teaches well, or are they preaching from a burden, from a passion, and from a fire that God is wanting to say something? So He's anointing that in a different kind of way. Uh, I've I've even had people ask me before over the years, and nothing they mean well, so there's no criticism on this. But people would say, uh, "I have a request for a message. You know, hey, I'd like you to preach a message on this, or I just want to put in a request." And I always smile, hey, I appreciate that, and it's usually a good topic, you know, maybe I have preached on it before, but my response is always like, well, hey, that's great, I'll take it to the Lord and see what he has to say about that, because that's, what, that's what's got to drive it. Does that make it sense? Like, the burden has to move it. And too many times, I think people are moved by things of this world instead of moved by the burdens and things that God wants to do in and through us. And and it can be both ways, (laughs) it can. But we need to get tuned in to be moved by the things of God and what God is wanting to do in our midst and among us. And so um, God begins to break our hearts for the things that break his. And then Nehemiah takes it into prayer, right? He takes it, he's like, okay, God, what do you want to do about this? There's much to be said, I think, for this time of prayer that he partakes of. Uh, He's praying the burden through. He's trying to get understanding. He's trying to get direction. And there's a a tension here that I want you to see and understand. And the, the tension is this. One, we look for doors of opportunity. We look for small opportunities to begin to move forward in doing something about what God is nudging us into. And a lot of times, uh, you know, don't despise the day of small beginnings, right? Sometimes those steps look small and we can overlook them or they're not significant enough for us so we just kind of keep moving on looking for a bigger thing. Well, that, that's something we don't want to get into, but there's this other side that Nehemiah demonstrates really well, which is that he's not impulsive, he's not fleshly, you know? It's the burden can be from God, but sometimes the course of action that we take maybe isn't. And then we begin to try to force something in our own flesh. And what happens is we actually get ahead of God instead of praying this thing through. And in the time of prayer, whether it's a day or whether it's a year, whatever it is, there's a seasoning effect, a galvanizing effect, cementing this thing in us so that we have more conviction and more clarity as we begin to take action on that. Does that make sense? And so you just really, you see, praise it through. Proverbs 20 Verse 21 says, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. So he doesn't just try to like jump out and do his own thing. He wants to wait on God enough to get a release to see, okay, what's the first step that you want me to take with this? So that was uh, uh, number one is it starts with the burden. One of the things that I really enjoy... I actually am kind of fascinated by these stories, is talking to entrepreneurs who start their own businesses, uh, church planters who started the church, and missionaries who have stepped out into the missions field. I'm always fascinated about the inception period. Like, how did that start? How did you get there? How did that begin? And missionaries especially... Because a lot of times what you find is a missionary that ends up in a specific country that you know we've never heard of, how did you even get to that place? A lot of them will tell you that the first thing that happened was God actually began to break their heart for the nations. It was like this unexplainable burden for the nations of the world, the countries that have not had the gospel, the people who are hurting, who are lost, that need to hear the word of God. Like They could not get away from that. But they didn't know what to do with that, the expression of that. And so they would start praying over a map or over a globe. Sometimes for months or years, they would do this, and the burden would just keep getting prayed through. And then eventually, God would bring some context, some expression. He'd open some doors, and they'd eventually land somewhere in a country that they'd never even heard of before. But they, they prayed that through, and it started with the burden, and then God began to give direction An insight to them as they went along. So, question to think about: Is there something on your heart that moves you every time you think about it? Has God maybe already put a burden in your heart? Is there is there something that you can't shake, but maybe you're just not sure what to do with it quite yet? You don't know quite where to go with it, but you know it's something that every time you think about it, every time you pray about it, every time you hear about that situation, it just kind of lights or stokes a flame that's already going inside of you. That might be an indication to a burden that God has put on you that he wants you to carry, and I just want to encourage you, keep praying it through, keep seeking God for that, because if you handle the seed well, God will begin to bring growth and fruit from that which he's already deposited. Point number two, is uh, nothing good comes without sacrifice. Let's read uh, chapter 2 in Nehemiah here, verses 1 through 5. It came to pass in the month... So this is what Nehemiah does after he's prayed through this burden. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So these are really important, the context of this is really important, because as I mentioned earlier, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, right? That position carried a lot of prestige, but it also carried a lot of responsibility. I mean, you talk about constant stress and paranoia. If the cupbearer says one wrong thing, tastes something wrong that's presented to the king, anything goes wrong, I mean, they could be executed, they could be imprisoned, they could obviously be demoted. Uh, A lot of things of consequence can happen from one wrong move. And so here's what I want you to understand is that once Nehemiah has this burden that he can't shake and he's been praying this through, he knows he needs to do something about it, there comes a point in time where he's willing to sacrifice for it. And he's not just willing to make a small sacrifice, he's actually willing to put it all on the line because he knows when the king calls him out, why are you doom and gloom? Why are you downtrodden? Why is your countenance down? which they would never do, right? They needed to have the appearance in front of the king that was good. He says, he's calling them out. Nehemiah's like, moment of truth. Uh, I'm gonna let him know what's happening here. And he actually requests that the king let him leave to go back to Jerusalem to do a work to rebuild the walls that are not even a part of this king's empire. So just try to appreciate the magnitude of what Nehemiah is willing to do. He's willing to make a huge sacrifice. There comes a point in time where the next step forward is are you willing to sacrifice for this thing that God is putting on your heart? And I have found that many times this is like a roadblock for people. The bigness, the reward, the blessing, the fruit, everybody's hooked into that, everybody wants that, and then it comes a point where it's gonna cost them something. They have to give something up. They have to lay down part of their life or risk a significant part of their pleasure or complacency or comfort in order to go forward, and that's where a lot of people stop. I want it without giving anything up. It would be nice, okay? It would be nice, but it doesn't work that way. Anything worth going after is going to require sacrifice, and we see that from the way Nehemiah walks this out, puts it all on the line. If we're not willing to sacrifice our own comfort, lives, well-being to move forward into greater things for God, I would say that that would mean we are immovable, that we reach a point where we can't move any further because we have to be willing to lay things down in order to lay hold of new things. It's part of God's operating procedure, if you will, with us, and so Nehemiah makes the, this sacrifice. Um of his own potential well-being in order to see this thing through and share what's on his heart with the king. And sometimes the fear of the unknown, the fear of what might happen to us if we put ourselves out there, it can actually create a form of paralysis, vision paralysis. Um, and here's what's interesting: most of the time like 80 plus percent of what we worry about might happen never ends up happening anyway. Have you noticed that? I mean, most of the things we anticipate or we worry about never end up happening anyway. But we do have to get to a place with God and the way we handle assignments and we walk forward with him where we're willing to risk, we're willing to sacrifice whether those things happen or don't happen right? It's like the three Hebrew children. They said, throw us in the fire. Whatever God does, we know he is well able to deliver us from this thing. So whatever the outcome is, we're willing to make the risk. We're willing to make the sacrifice and say yes to God. And this is the kind of selflessness that I think God looks for to move us into greater things that we are worthy and responsible of being able to handle. He looks for that. And that type of sacrifice selflessness, laying things down, guys, that, that actually reflects the image of Christ. Would you agree with that? Jesus sacrificed everything. Like that's the, that's the whole story of the gospel. He laid his own life down so that we could have life. <laughs> so when we say yes to God, and then there comes a point in time where it's going to cost us something, and we say yes, even though it costs us something, and then we still move forward, What we're doing is we're actually allowing God to do a work in us that begins to, as the Bible says, transform us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. By living sacrificially, we grow more and more into living the way Christ demonstrated for us. So it's a big part of what we've got to come to the place of understanding and acceptance on. And then number three, point number three, is trust in God's favor. Trust in God's favor. So you've got to know ahead of time before you get out there that if God is leading you there, that he's going to be there when you get there. His grace, his favor, his protection, his sovereignty, his provision, right? I mean, you've got to know ahead of time. This is a, like a lesson in trust that I think every Christian has to grow in knowing that when I go, I can trust if God leads me there, he'll lead me through that place. And I may have no idea how that's going to happen, but I trust and know that it's going to happen. And that's enough to get me stepping and get me moving. It's that kind of trust. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Let's reread this. Nehemiah says, as he begins to pray... I pray, Lord God of heaven, O oh great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant. When we pray, it's, there's something very powerful about what we decree and declare when we pray. It's not like God doesn't know these things. What Nehemiah is doing is he's saying these things. He's saying, "Oh, God of heaven, like, you're the God of everything. You're more powerful than anything. When I pray this, I'm praying to a God that's capable of doing anything. And he says, you who keep your covenant, which means God, you keep your word. And he had a covenant. He had a word for his people, for Israel, for Jerusalem. Nehemiah is not forgetting that, and he's declaring that, and he's putting his faith and trust in that. God, I know what's happening now is not your will. I know your will is something else, and you are the God who keeps your covenant, who is faithful to your word. So when I step out, I know that your will and your word will come to pass if I walk in faith and obedience to what you're calling me to do. Jeremiah says it this way. He says, the Lord God watches over his word and is ready and able to perform it. Isaiah says... That God's word will never return void, that it will prosper in the thing which it was sent forth to do. Is that meaning something to you today? Like if I got a word from God, I need to hold on to that word. I need to remember that word. I need to stand on that word because if God spoke it, he intends to bring it to pass. And sometimes that's the substance my faith has to stand on is that alone without being able to see all the details of how it's going to happen. We're not even in, we won't even get into it until the next week about how Nehemiah begins to actually get there and understand the plans for how the walls are going to get rebuilt and come together. He has no idea yet, but he's getting way out there and risking things and trusting God already that he's going to bring it to pass. And then it happens this way whenever he begins to tell God about it, or he begins to tell the king about it. This is the king's response to Nehemiah after he lays it all on the line. Verse 6, chapter 2. So the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, everybody say, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I get to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertain to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to what? The good hand of my God upon me. Isn't that awesome? Not only does he take a chance and tell the king, I want to leave you, and go do a project in my own hometown and rebuild something that has nothing to do with your empire. Not only does he say all that, but guess what he's met with? Not only is the king saying yes, but the king provides him with all the resources, all the authorization, the letters of protection, and everything he needs to make his journey, get the materials, get the supplies, all the resources to do the work. What is that? that is the favor of God. (laughs) He says, because of the hand of my God, which was upon me. You see, he knew the favor and the grace of God is on me and is with me where I'm going. And this is what favor does. It opens doors that no man can open, closes doors that no man can close, Parts the way when there is no way. Makes provision when things seem scarce. Makes trees to grow in the deserts that are dry. That's what the grace and favor of God can do. And is saying, I recognize that that's what's on my life and on this call. So I'm trusting in that. I'm stepping out according to my perception and discernment that grace and favor are here with me by the hand of my God. And you and I can trust that grace and favor as well. In fact, I would say it like this. If the grace and favor of God is on us where we're going, if we're following correctly, then that will make every provision, every requirement available to us that's needed for that work. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But the opposite is true as well. If the grace and favor of God is not going where we're going, then you and I are not skilled enough, gifted enough, talented enough to do any of the work that God is wanting us to do by our own hands. It'll never come to pass. That grace is something we've got we've to learn to follow. And it's unique to the work each of us are doing. Think about this. The Bible says in the New Testament that there was a grace on Peter that was not on Paul. And there was a grace on Paul that was not on Peter. It's described this way. There was a grace on Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles in a revivalist kind of way. And there was a grace on Peter to preach the gospel to the Jews in a way that would penetrate their heart. And it was so obvious that the brethren, it says they recognized the different kind of grace that was on each of them. And they dispatched them differently according to their missions based on the grace that they saw was with them. Isn't that cool? And so they're not trying to step into each other's walk. They're not trying to step into each other's call, but the grace is an indicator of where God is wanting to lead them. You may come to a place in a season in your life where God's been leading you, the grace has been on you. You know it. I'm not this good. There's no way. God's doing this. Then all of a sudden, if we're perceptible, tuned in, seeking God, we can know when the grace begins to lift and a season is beginning to come to a close. And if we hang out and stay in a season longer than the grace is there for, frustration, disappointment, and heartache are only going to follow. But when we say, well, wait a minute, I sense the grace is shifting. The peace of God isn't here anymore the way it once was. God may be doing a new thing. He may be doing a shift, and there may be a new season and a new work that we need to go into, and that's where the grace is going now. Is this helping anybody today? So trust in that grace and that favor. But here's the beautiful part. When we go somewhere that God is leading us, I know this is going to seem real like obvious, but it's, to me, so helpful. When we are going to a place that God is leading us that we have never been, God has already been there. He, he says in Deuteronomy, he says, I go before you, meaning I'm always steps, years, infinite time ahead of you <laughs> in where you're going. Why is that important? Because part of the promise that Jesus makes for the person of the Holy Spirit that would come to live inside of us, he says he'll be a guide to your path. We have a guide who's already been everywhere you're gonna go. That's comforting. That means he knows where every pothole is, where every mist-up is, where every tripwire is, and if we're just being guided, he can direct us away from all of those pitfalls and he's ordained every step ahead of time that he'll place our feet in if we'll follow him and let him be our guide. But if we try to do it on our own, we can get very disoriented, especially in places we've never been before, especially in places that he needs to carry us through by his hand. And one of the places that I've always enjoyed going uh, fishing is over at a lake called Truman Lake in Missouri. We fish tournaments at Lake of the Ozarks, Truman, Table Rock some of the lakes all around the Midwest. But Truman, it's it's really different because unlike the other lakes, when they flooded them decades ago and made them into impoundments, they cleared all of the timber out, right? They, they harvested all of the timber and so the lake's vast and wide open and you just, you just fly anywhere you want on this big body of water. At Truman, they didn't do that. They left all of the trees. So when you get on the lake and you begin to uh, try to navigate, there's trees everywhere sticking up out of the water. The first time we went down there, my brother and I, I'll never forget, uh, I mean, we were, we were like stressed out, beyond stressed out. We were like very putting along in the boat because six inches under the water, there could be a stump that you don't see, <laughs> rips your whole lower unit off, throws you out of the boat. I mean, you know, you just have to really be careful. We're, we're a nervous wreck, right? <laughs> Trying to fish the first time. Well, then we got GPS, we got the mapping system on the dash. And GPS actually gives you the full coordinate of the original river channel because there was a river there before they flooded it to make it into a lake. So if you can imagine, the lake comes down, and at some point, there's the, there's the original river, right? Well, in the original river channel, there's no trees. There were no trees growing there. So when you zoom in on the GPS and you just follow the river channel... You can fly through the lake, but it looks absolutely insane because they're just like in and out of these trees. And if you don't know they're using GPS, you're like, dear Lord, how do they know where they're going and what to do? But we had that GPS, and we were dialed in, and so what we had was we had navigation, and we had a guide that understood everything that was beneath our path, leading us and guiding us in a way that we could have confidence in, that we knew we could move forward in this direction, and we will be free and clear of any obstacles or adversity. And, and that's how the grace and favor of God is when it goes with us where we go, is we can go places we wouldn't go on our own. We can do things we wouldn't do on our own. We can see things that we can't see on our own. We can understand things that we couldn't understand on our own. And so when the grace and favor of God is present, it's absolutely a game changer. And you know what else? This is the last point to number three, trust the, the favor and grace of God. Notice the protection It's on the life of Nehemiah. He stands in the face of an earthly king who is a legit threat to his life in an earthly sense. But the grace and favor of God is we serve the king of kings. (laughs) So here's the point. There is no earthly king that can threaten our lives if the king of kings is authorizing our mission There is to be no fear of man for the child of God, no fear of what man might do, no fear of what man might take. If God is with us, then even earthly kings are submitted to his authority. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like a river. He turns it wherever he wishes. So it means God is sovereign and he's in control. And if he's leading me to a place and he wants to take me to a place... There's not even an earthly king, a person of power, that can threaten my mission if God is authorizing this and protecting me as I go. But those earthly threats can look real, real, very real and very intimidating when they're in our faith, and that's when we have to come back to this place of faith and say, ah, I'm to fear no man, right? Hebrews says it this way, uh, chapter 13, verse 6, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? David says it this way, you tell me, what can flesh do to me if my God is for me? Trusting in the favor of God many times will look like this in our lives. And what might an earthly king be? It might be, you know, intimidation of how your reputation is going to go, uh, you might not be able to get into a certain place or into a certain thing if you don't bow your knee to this or to that. It's saying, "No way! I was. I serve the king. I obey the king. He will protect me. He will authorize me. He will open any door, no matter what. I am not to fear any man. Nothing that stands in my way is able to resist my God. If He's leading me this direction, and I'll close with this: as we look at the this book of Nehemiah, this pattern of Nehemiah that we're going to dig into more in the weeks ahead. You know, we just talked about the beginning stages. We're going to talk about taking action, follow through, completion of our assignments through the series. But as we we look at this, Nehemiah actually, the figure Nehemiah, is kind of a forerunner and shining a revealing light on Jesus, actually. I want to draw that arc for you as we close today between Nehemiah and Christ. Nehemiah comes to a place where things are in rubble, where things are broken down. And his mission is to restore and repair things back to a place that they once were. And the central focus is the relationship between God and man that surrounds this work. The reason that building the walls is meaningful is because this is the place that God said he was going to come and dwell with his people from. So Nehemiah is a restorer. He is a rebuilder. He restores these things back to a place that they once were, and then God's presence and dwelling in the people in their midst is restored and their spiritual health of their community is restored. So you maybe already see where I'm going with this, but this is a prefigure of Christ. He comes to restore something that is broken and in rubble back to a place that it once was, which the the rubble and the brokenness is the result of sin that entered the world. You see, man was originally created in fellowship and right standing with God, but that got broken when sin entered the world so the world was in a broken state in need of repair jesus comes along and his mission on earth was about restoring and rebuilding through his work mankind back into right relationship with god as he originally intended it for it to be since the very beginning jesus is the master restorer, the master rebuilder. There is no rubble, no wall broken down, no area of our lives that is so distraught that God, Jesus cannot rebuild and restore things back to a place where they are upright and according to the original design that God has for our lives. What, what is it in your life, perhaps, that feels like walls that are in rubble? What is it in your life that feels like something that's just broken down and it's just stones laying all over the ground and it's a mess? I want to encourage you today that whatever it is, it is not beyond Jesus's ability to rebuild and restore stone by stone, brick by brick, that fortified city, that strong tower and fortress of that work and relationship that he wants to do in and through your life. So I want to just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you, what is, what is the situation right now with you and Jesus? Right? The starting point of everybody's life, the starting point, eternally speaking, is when we say yes to Jesus. The Bible describes it this way, that even though we physically are born before Christ, we are dead spiritually after Christ, we are alive spiritually because His Spirit, eternal life, comes to live on the inside of us. That's the starting point of everything. You want to go on a mission for God, assignments for God? It starts first by saying yes to Jesus, surrendering your will to His, turning over the reins, letting go of the wheel giving it all to him, not just part of it and not conditionally. Like Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you came into the earth, suffered and died for me so that my sins could be removed and taken away. That this sin nature I'm born into the world with could be blotted out from me. I could be made white as snow. I want to say yes to you today. Or maybe you've walked away from the Lord. You know, you've been... In a place where you, you went a different direction than God was going, and kind of kept on going, and it's led you to a place of brokenness. There's walls down, stones and rubble everywhere, and you got to get back. You want to get back to walking closely with Christ. Maybe the enemy has tried to feed you this lie that you know you got to go do a bunch of things to earn your way back. You're not worthy until you go through a whole checklist of stuff that you need to do couldn't be further from the truth our god is a loving father picture we see when the, the prodigal son that's far and meets him where as soon as he decides to return home the father runs and meets him where he is he puts sandals on his feet he puts a ring on his hand he puts a robe on him he says you're my son you've always been my son that's never changed Now come, I'm welcoming you back into my home. He didn't make him go do a bunch of chores and a bunch of things to earn that right. He put it right back on him the moment he knew he wanted to come home. And the Bible says that the Lord restores us to righteousness when we repent. So whether you're here today and maybe it's the first time, it's your starting point in life, you've you've never given your heart to Christ, or maybe you want to come back to him, either way, I just want to pray with you this morning before you go. I don't want you to leave without getting right in your life with Jesus. You say, Pastor, I need that. I need Christ today. On the count of three, would you just raise your hand so I can see who you are? One, two, three. And I just want to lead you in this prayer today to give your heart to Christ or to get back to walking with him. Is there anybody here? see a hand. God bless you. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Awesome. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Just a moment here. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. Anybody else? Spirit of God tugging at your heart. I can't encourage you enough. If, If he is doing that, don't turn your will against God's will. Don't resist. When you do that, you're turning your will away from his. You don't want that. The Lord's pulling at your heart. He's wooing you, trying to draw you. He's, he's not going to force your will. You've got to say yes to him. One last time, anybody in this place today, like, I need Christ. All right, those of you that raise your hand, you just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I, I lay down everything, and I'm just right here at your feet, Lord on my knees, I'm at your feet, and I'm just laying it right here at your feet. This beautiful place of surrender. I'm just, I'm putting it all down in front of you. I'm letting go of everything. I'm giving it all to you. Fill me with your spirit, God. Lead me, guide me. Help me to become the person that you've created me to be. I know with all my heart that you suffered and died for me. You rose from the grave so that I could Raise from the grave, and live eternally with you. My faith and trust is entirely in that today. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray, amen.